Thank you very much, ladies, for that. Really appropriate songs for what we're going to look at today. So we're, in, we're going to be in chapter 7 of Hebrews. We're going to look at the first 10 verses this morning and, uh, and start back. Um, remember, the writer of Hebrews kind of was kind of stopped talking about the high priest and Jesus' role uh, for, for us today in, in, in the, uh, at the throne of heaven where he makes intercession for us. Because remember he said that they weren't ready. They, they were like not uh, uh, mature enough. They weren't ready for the, like the solid food. They still needed milk. And so he started talking about that in chapter, last part of chapter 5 and 6. And now we're back in Hebrews. He returns to the topic of the high priest. And uh, that may be a little bit of a strange kind of uh, idea for, for us in our culture today. But um, it's a big deal for the, for the Jews, okay? So we're going to begin this chapter. We're going to be discussing, and the theme is uh, referencing uh, an Old Testament priest that met up with Abraham, and his name was Melchizedek. And what we discover is that Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, is mentioned to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And whenever we talk about a type, we can be referring also to like a picture. Jesus, Melchizedek is a picture in the Old Testament of the person Christ and his work, his ministry. So for, let me give you a couple of examples, and then we're going to read the text. In the Old Testament, we read about this uh, brazen serpent that had been lifted up on a pole, and all of the people who looked at this serpent were healed from the snake bites. Now, of course, the snake bites of a poisonous snake, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. So this is a figure of Jesus, because in John chapter 3, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The Son of Man is a title for the Messiah. And he says, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So Jesus takes something from the Old Testament, and he says, that's me. That was the picture of me. And so when the people were bitten by the serpents in the desert, they were going to die. If they would run to this pole that Moses had to construct, and there was a serpent on it, the serpent, of course, who's it reflect? It reflects sin. And the penalty of sin is death. So what does Jesus do on the cross when he's lifted up? He dies. So in the Old Testament, that brazen serpent, that brass serpent that was put on a pole and lifted up, if the people looked at it, they were healed. And then if we look to Jesus' cross, it says here that we believe what he did for us at the cross, we will have eternal life instead of the penalty of sin, which is death. So that's a type. That's like a figure in the Old Testament. Another one that's very popular is in the, men, the mention of lambs being slain in the Old Testament over and over again. And then we hear John the Baptist in the New Testament look back and say, when he sees Jesus walking on the side of the Jordan River, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So lambs are a reference to ultimately what 
Jesus would do. He would be the Lamb of God. So there's a lot of pictures in the Old Testament of Jesus. They're figures. They're kind of like analogies, if you would. And Jesus is the fulfillment of those pictures, of those images. Basically, they're meant to give us like an insight. It's kind of like a PowerPoint illustration in the Old Testament so that we could understand. This particular passage that we're going to look at in Hebrews 7, so if you don't, I don't know if it's going to be on the screens. I don't even think the screens are working. They're not, right? So if you go to chapter 7 of Hebrews with your Bible, or your devices. Let's read. I'll have you stand. We're going to read the first 10 chapter verses. Not chapters. Don't get scared. We're going to read the first 10 verses in Hebrews 7. All right? Hebrews 7, the first 10 verses. Interesting story. It's kind of a mystery. This man, Melchizedek. His name is even mysterious. But he's important, and his titles describe. Jesus, who Jesus would be. So this Melchizedek in uh, Hebrews 7, 1, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, he met Abraham after uh, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham, a portion, a tenth of, his, of everything. So Abraham gave him a tithe to this priest. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem. That is king of peace. Salem means peace. And it was before, Salem is the city named before it became Jerusalem. The Jezebites, a tribe or a people in the area, eventually lived in Salem and they changed it to Jerusalem. But it used to be called Salem. Salem means peace. So this Melchizedek was the king of righteousness, and I'll explain later why. He's the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling, there's the word, resembling, it's a type. He's a type. The son of God, what does he resemble? The son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. Where did the spoils come from? Well, he won the victory over the ten kings. He took all the spoils. And it says, And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descendants from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham, referring to Melchizedek, and blessed him who had the promises, who had the promises, Abraham. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. We're going to get into that too. In the, uh, in the case, one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by whom, uh, uh, one of whom is testified that he lives. By the way, when we give our tithes, we're giving them to the resurrected Christ not to a dead priest or to a man who can die. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. All right, I'm going to explain all that, so don't, get, don't worry. Let's pray for the sermon. So, precious Heavenly Father, we just thank you and ask your help, Lord. And most importantly, and a really good understanding 
of the role that Jesus plays as our great high priest, as our mediator, as the one who represents us like a lawyer, a defense lawyer, before the throne, before your throne, Father, so that we might have representation there and that we might find, Lord, a, a remedy to the problem that we have with sin and to the issues of life, so Father. We just thank you. We pray, Lord, that we can leave today understanding and appreciating more and being thankful for all that Jesus offers us. And we give you the thanks in his precious name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So, chapter 7 is a real important chapter in this book because it tackles a key question that was concerning the Jews. And that was a question of the priesthood. Remember, they have a religion that has been going on for thousands of years. And so that was the basic question. What about the priesthood, right? To the Jew, the priests were like exalted. They were very distinguished people of the community. The priesthood was deeply rooted in Judaism. It goes all the way back to Aaron and to Moses. And they were the ones, here's the key, why is it such a big deal to the Jews? Because they were the ones that connected men with God. So if we wanted to have a relationship with God, if we wanted to have something to do with God, the priests were the ones who connected us to God. So the priest was the one, basically, pretty simple at this point, I think you'll understand, they built a bridge from man to God. The priest did. So Jesus, the great high priest, this is a great analogy because you can see it from the cross. On one side of the cross, his hand is in the hand of God. On the other side of the cross, his hand is with men. And what Jesus does is he puts us together. He connects us. He's the bridge. And I think you may have seen sometimes on little flyers uh, or um, what do they call those things that people pass out? Tracks. Sometimes people draw an image of a bridge that goes from a, over a gulf, like from one cliff to another cliff. And you see that men can walk across from one side, life, death to life, through the bridge, the bridge being the cross of Christ. Okay, so let me just put it this way. To the Jews, the priesthood was really, and I'll say it again, really very, very important. And they were concerned because the priests gave us access to God. Because we can't go directly to God. You know why? Because of sin. So we need a mediator. And that's what the role was of the priests, to be mediators. However, there's a problem. The Levitical priests were called, beginning with Aaron. Aaron is from the tribe of Levi. Jesus isn't from the tribe of Levi. What tribe is Jesus from? Come on, you guys. What tribe is Jesus from? The lion of the tribe of what? Judah. Gosh, oh my goodness. That really upset me. We don't know who the tribe of Judah, Jesus comes from Judah? Jews, he's a Jew. Oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> this is the point. They know that. They know that Jesus is from Judah. Jesus is from California, but in order to be a representative, you have to be from, I'll make it up, from Washington, D.C. So they're thinking in their head, he's not able to represent us. We're not ha we don't have access with God. We're not going to be connected to God. 
Well, God had a solution to that, and that's what this verses that we read is going to describe to us. Even though God appointed through Aaron the priesthood, Jesus is not a Levite. He's a Jew. He's from Judah. Right? So they don't they don't accept him because he can't be a priest. But there's this little puzzle in the Old Testament that we're going to read about, a man called Melchizedek. Jesus qualifies perfectly if the priesthood goes through Melchizedek and not the Levites. And Melchizedek was before the Levites. As a matter of fact, Abraham brought tithes to Melchizedek, and in Abraham, his future descendant, Levi, would be born. So in some respect, Levi brought tithes to Ab- through Abraham to Melchizedek, the great high priest. So who's greater, Levi or Melchizedek? If Abraham, the great-great-great-great-grandfather of Levi, brings tithes to Melchizedek, who's greater, Aaron, who's a Levite, or Melchizedek? Who's greater? Who came first? Melchizedek. That's the argument that the Hebrew writer has. And that's going to matter, and we'll see here in a minute. He has all the qualifications of a priest. He supersedes. He's superior than Aaron because Abraham paid tithes to him. Okay? We pay our tithes to God, not to the man, not to the church. We're not paying our tithes to Pastor Robert or to Cross Point Community Church. We're paying them to God. That's the whole point of an offering, right? So, who is Melchizedek? I'll just give you a little brief history. There's only three verses in the Old Testament, in Genesis, that talk about Melchizedek. And then there's one verse in Psalms. And then we see and hear about Melchizedek all the way in the New Testament in Hebrews. So what you have is a Abraham comes to Melchizedek. A thousand years later, David writes about in the Psalms about Melchizedek. And then a thousand years later, we're reading about it in Hebrews. Only four verses in the whole Bible about this man. He's, he's mysterious. But what it tells us is this. How do all three, that is, how does Moses, how does David, and how does the writer or author of Hebrews all ref- know about or write about this one man? Because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let me read to you what happens in Genesis 14. You don't have to go there. I'll read it to you. It's in Genesis 14, verse 18, 19, and 20. Uh, This is a story about Abraham after he had defeated these 10 kings. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he, referring to Melchizedek, blessed him, referring to Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham, or Abram, the God by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So this man appears, meets Abraham after this great victory. By the way, isn't it interesting? There were these these little countries all over 
Canaan, all over that area where Jordan is today. And they, they, what they did is they invaded Sodom. Who lives in Sodom? A family member of Abraham. Lot. Guess what? They take Lot, they take Lot's wives, they take all their things, and boom, they take off. Abraham finds out. He gathers together his men, his, his warriors, and they go hunting down these kings that had taken Lot and all their things. And Abraham defeats ten kings. This one man defeats ten kings. Now, do we see Abraham as a warrior? Is Abraham weak? Is Abraham helpless? No, because Abraham's a man that God picked and made the promise of the future Messiah that would come from him. God blessed Abraham and gave him this victory over ten kings. He's, he's just a little tribe. He doesn't even have his kids yet, the twelve, from the, that become the twelve tribes of, of Israel. He doesn't have them yet. He has servants. What does that tell us? If we're children of the promise, if we're children of God, what does that tell us about our battles? What does it tell us that if God is for us, who can be against us? If we belong to Him, who can defeat us? If God has promises for us, a purpose for us, nothing can interfere. And that's what happened. And Abraham gives him 10% of everything. It says, a thousand years later, we discover in Psalm 110, verse 4, we find another single verse. So first there's three verses in Genesis, and then there's one verse in Psalms 114, or 110.4. And it says, the Lord has sworn, so this is, this is a, a pledge, and will not change his mind. And he's referring to Christ in the future, to the Messiah. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So David is writing this after the temple had been established and the Levites were priests in the temple, Solomon's temple. He's writing that there's Messiah will be a priest also, but not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek, the one that Abraham met. The problem with the Aaron and the problem with the Levites in the temple is that every year they had to offer sacrifices. Every year, it was, that sacrifice was only good enough for the moment, but it didn't have any eternal value. And they were men, the priests, who also had sin. So before they could offer the sin sacrifice for you, they had to offer one for themselves. It was an imperfect system. So God had already established all the way back with Abraham that there was going to be a priesthood, there was going to be a man, who represents and connects us to God, who is eternal. And guess who it is? Jesus. Because what does he say? You are a priest, referring to his son Jesus, forever after the order of Melchizedek. So then another thousand year passes by, as I was mentioned, and then there's this exposition that we're reading about in Hebrews 7 and other 
chapters before this, we saw a little bit about the high priest that Jesus is. Melchizedek and Abraham have no idea that God knew exactly the role that Jesus would play and how his priesthood would be like Melchizedek's and not Aaron's. Okay, so this is the problem that the, the Jews have. They know that Jesus is not a Levite. So how could he be our high priest? Who would represent us? So you see how they're like objecting? And so the writer says, no, guess what? Jesus, the Messiah, was never meant to have been from that order of priests, but a different one, a better, superior one. And here's the argument. So I'm going to go back to Hebrews and kind of shut this down a minute. Jesus in the book of Hebrews is superior to the prophets. Jesus in the book of Hebrews is superior to angels. Jesus in the book of Hebrews, which we're in, and we've been in now for seven chapter, is superior to Moses. Jesus in the book of Hebrews is superior to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Jesus is superior to the Sabbath. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath of the Old Testament. Jesus is superior, and we're reading now, to Aaron and the Levites' priesthood. His priesthood is ancient. It's so ancient that it existed before the foundation of the earth because Jesus has always been a priest. The problem that Levites have is they can't be kings. Kings come from Judah. But Jesus is the king and the priest at the same time. And the Levites can't be kings. They don't come from a royal lineage. So I know this is confusing, but the idea here is that there isn't anything or anyone superior to Christ in any way, especially in religious forms. See, the problem we have is we like to have tangible things as humans that identify us with a certain belief. We like our, yeah, there's some religions, some Practices where the, you have to be able to feel something or smell something or see something, touch something. But Jesus is the high priest in which he represents us in the spiritual sense. He represents us for eternity, not just here and now. So, let's start with verse 1. For this Melchizedek, he's king of Salem. Back to Hebrews 7. What is he? The king, priest of the most high God. He's a king, he's a priest. He meets Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and he blessed him. Okay? And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is, he is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. So Melchizedek was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. By the way, Mech in Melchizedek means king. Isedek, the last part of Melchizedek, means righteousness. So he's a king of righteousness. He's the holy one. There's no sin in him. There's no sin in Jesus. Jesus is the perfect lamb of God. Okay? So Jesus is king. Jesus is priest. And then He's also king of Salem. What does Salem mean? It means peace. He's also the prince of peace. Jesus is priest. Jesus is king. And Jesus represents peace. 
What does that mean for us? That we have peace with God. We can approach this king. We can approach this priest. The priest connects us to God. That's how we have access. He's the mediator. The king is connected to royalty. You can't just walk into a king's presence without permission. Look what happened uh, when we looked at Esther. We can't just walk in. Sometimes I can't even walk into my boss at work to his office. I think I know him, he's a friend, but sometimes I show up and I'm like, oops, there's a whole bunch of people in there. I'm like, I wasn't invited. Jesus is our high priest, gives us access to God. He connects us to God. We can peaceably arrive there. We don't have to force our way, we don't have to connive our way. We don't have to manipulate our way into His presence. He receives us because He's our representative. He's our King, speaking of royalty. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one who rules. He's the one who is sovereign. He's in control. We can approach our King. In the kingdom of God, our King is approachable. Try doing that with our own government today. Write a letter to your congressman to see if it ever gets answered. That's how you will probably have to do it, make an appointment. See if you can make one. This king is approachable. This king benefits us because he represents us. So you as a Christian, you have these two great blessings. You have a sovereign king who is in control of everything. If you're one of his subjects, if you belong to him, that means he's in control of you. He's in control of your life. He's in control of your finances. He's in control of your health. He's in control of your destiny. He's in control of every aspect of your life. And the thing about this particular king, who's almighty and sovereign, is that he also loves you. That's good news. He wants you to approach him. And then he also serves as not only king, sovereign, the one in control, but he's also the one who will go before the Father and intercede on your behalf. You have entrance into God's presence through Jesus. You could bring him all of your burdens, you can bring him all of your questions. You can lay at his feet your illnesses. You can lay at his, at his feet your shame. You can lay at his feet your problems. And he'll hear you out. No, oh, no, man, I got this, man. I don't need no king. That's the problem. You know why people don't come to Christ? They're deceive themselves into believe that they actually have control of their lives. Come on, everybody. How many of you are where you thought you would be or had planned to be in your life at the moment? Or how many of you think you have control of what's going to happen tomorrow? We learn, and it didn't take me 64 years. I kind of figured it out a little bit ago. And it's like, I have control of nothing. But I've seen God do things in my life way beyond what I ever imagined him capable of doing in my life. I'm way ahead of where I ever thought I would be. 
Not because of me, but because we have a king. We have one who is sovereign, one who rules the universe. And he can, believe me, help us with our rent or our mortgage. Our problems are not going to cause him to fall off his throne. We can bring it all to him. So, that's why this is important. And who is this Melchizedek, by the way? It says that Abraham gave him a tenth of his, they call it the, the booty, which was what he got when he defeated these ten kings. Abraham was blessed by him, and Abraham gave him a tenth part of all the spoils of the battle, according to Genesis 14, 20. This, this Melchizedek is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning nor day, of days near end of life, but resembling, which is talking about a type, the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Well, who is this man that has no recorded genealogy? Who is this man who has no information given to him about a beginning or about an end. He shows up out of, suddenly and he disappears. We don't know. Like I said, there's only four verses in all the Old Testament about him. But that's the point when this was recorded by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to get a sense of uh, Melchizedek of where did he come from? We don't know who he is. He appears, he blesses Abraham and then there's a little reference to him in the Psalms and that's it. So he suddenly appears and then he disappears. But he blesses Abraham. He has no record. We can't go find out where he's from or who he is. But it also indicates to us that he has no end. He has no beginning. Get it? He's a representative or he's a type of Christ. Christ has no beginning. Christ has no end because he's eternal. And then yet he all of a sudden appeared on earth. To become the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He dies, he resurrects, he ascends to heaven. He's sitting there as our high priest right now, making intercession for us. That's the whole point of Melchizedek, to show us that he's a special kind of priest. He's greater than any priest. He's greater than the priests that you may find in the Buddhist religion. Those are men. They die and then another guy comes in and takes his place. They might have a ministry or a time of 20, 25 years, 30 years. I don't know. When they can't do it anymore, then some other man replaces them. Another human being. But our great high priest, he comes from eternity. He appears on earth. He takes care of our needs in his ministry. And then he disappears. But he's still sitting in heaven. He's someone that we can go to always. And it's hard for us because we don't come from, as Gentiles, we don't necessarily come from a structure of religion where the priest was really important. But isn't it amazing, isn't it wonderful to have someone who represents us? See, because God's kingdom is a kingdom of laws. The court system we have in the United States, you can't, just can't appear in court. There's a whole process. That's why we get lawyers. Uh, don't like lawyers. They take advantage of you because you don't know anything, and so they tell you, well, anyway, I don't want to get on that. They represent themselves first. They're interested in an income. They'll represent you, too, maybe. I'm not even too sure that they don't get in cahoots with the other side. 
and just extend your case longer than it should be so you pay more to everybody. Not, the, not our defense lawyer. He goes to our defense. He takes care of our needs without manipulating, without trying to connive or deceive us, take advantage of us or fleece us. Jesus cares about us. And his role right now, what he lives for at this moment is to be our intercessor, the one who intercedes on our behalf. So verse 4 says, See how great this man was whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils? The spoils here mean took, off, took it off the top. The word tithe means top 10%. Let me talk a little bit about our, our way of giving. When we give our tithes, we're not giving the last 10%. So like for instance, we spend all our money and then whatever is left over, we give it to the Lord. Well, first time we get our check or whatever way you get your, your income, you take the very top of it, the first 10%, and you give it to the Lord. Does that, what does that tell us when we do it that way? When we give him the first part, that he's recognized and that we understand that everything we have comes from him. And we're giving him what's called worth-ship. So we use the word worship a lot in Christian circles. Worship simply means he's worth it. You give him the best of what we have, not the leftovers. And imagine that in God's mathematics and in his economy, if you give him the top 10%, the 90 that's left for you will go further if you had kept 100%. You guys are looking at me weird. You do more with the 90 that's left by honoring God with the tithe, the top 10, than have you kept it all. Money will burn through your pockets and you wonder, go, how, where will my money go? But when you honor God in the tithe, when you give him the best of yourself first, that's what this is about. Because Jesus gave us the best of himself. This is, this is about value. This is about something that's worth shipping. I said worth shipping. Every day we make statements by our actions or by what... Just look at your checkbook at what you pay out. Looking at our checkbook or looking at our bank statement will show us what matters to us. I know people that what matters more to them is going out to eat. What matters more to them are shopping and clothing and or traveling. or Other things are more important than anything else. And just look at their bank statement and you'll know what matters to them. The Christian... First and foremost, when we receive from God, whatever it is He gives us, we acknowledge Him by giving Him the best, and that's the top 10%. And that's what Abraham did. Took off the tent. Verses 5 and 6 basically describe that those descendants of Levi, remember, Levi is where Aaron comes from. He's the high priest in the Old Testament Mosaic system. He received the priestly office, uh, that is, Levi received this priestly office, and they had a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. 
So how did the priesthood in the Old Testament survive? How do they meet their needs? They were commanded to give to the Levites, right? And it says, though, though these also are descended from Abraham, but this man, referring to Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Here's what I want to say. In the Levitical system, they were commanded to give. Abraham gave voluntarily. There was no command to give. In the New Testament, we're to give with a cheerful heart. It's not a commandment in the New Testament. There's no commandment to give in the New Testament. But if we have a new heart, if we love the Lord, then we give it freely. The difference. I'll be so bold as to say this. If you give and feel regret or feel like, oh man, don't give it because it won't matter to God. We should be able to give out of a cheerful heart. We should be able to give freely out of love. I'm serious. See, that's probably why uh, and some people will say to me always, oh, man, church, I talk to them about being a pastor. Oh, man, you must make a lot of money. I'm like, Bruh. yeah, right. The first thing people do when they think about giving to a church is that, man, I wouldn't give. I, I wouldn't give my hard-earned money. And they don't understand the whole reason for it. You know that there are systems that they will actually Sit you down at the end of the year. you got to bring your tax report to them. And they're going to see whether or not you actually gave 10%. And if you haven't, you can't be a member of that church. You know that? That exists. I know of a place where the pastor would put the tithes from the previous week on the, on the, on the bulletin. That's not how it works. We do it out of love. We do it freely. We do it because we have joy in our hearts. We do it because it, the ministry and God's word has value. Because we know that from God's word, we have life. We know from God's word that we're encouraged. We know from God's word that he'll guide us and lead us. We know from God's word that he promises to protect us. You know from God's word how, what direction to go. And we, un- and we appreciate a ministry that's willing to do that, to guide you through God's Word and pastor you as a, as a church. See, these things are important. Yeah, Abraham gave voluntarily to, to Melchizedek. Whereas in the Le- Levitical system, they were commanded to give. So here's the deal. Verse 7 says, It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. When Abraham gave his tithes to the Melchizedek, he understood that Melchizedek, as God's high priest, was superior to him. Imagine that. The man to whom God had given all the promises recognized that Melchizedek was greater than him. Because we can only be blessed by someone greater than us. And Melchizedek is a picture of who? Christ. Christ is superior. Christ is greater. When we give to him, we're acknowledging who he is. 
and what he's done for us, the victories that we have, just like Abraham. So in one case, verse 8, it says tithes are received by mortal men. So those were the Levitical system. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. There's no record in the Bible of Melchizedek dying. That's why it says in the other case, the tithes were received by Melchizedek from Abraham. There's no record of him that he died. That's why it says that it testifies that he lives. Our king, our high priest, lives. He's alive and forever alive. So the figure here of Melchizedek that says he lives is the picture of Jesus' resurrection. Then finally, at the end here, one might even say that Levi himself, remember, he's the one who, this is from where Aaron comes from. Aaron's the, the priest in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic system. It says, one might say that Levi himself who received tithes from the, from, the, from the Israelis, from the Jews, he paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So the offspring of Abraham, Levi, share in this tithe to Melchizedek. Notice how great he is. When your father makes an investment, let's say, I don't know, into Microsoft. And then he passes away and he still has that investment. Who gets it? Who gets the inheritance? The children. So technically, all of Israel paid tithes to Melchizedek through their father Abraham. So they're asking the question, well, Jesus is not a Levite. How can he help us as far as the priesthood? Oh, don't worry. Jesus comes from a superior priesthood. The one that's after the order of Melchizedek. Notice how God fixed that problem? Because Melchizedek is superior to Aaron. So that erases that objection. See, whenever we have an objection about Christ or about Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God is actually willing to answer that objection and show us that He can overcome the reason or excuse that you have not to accept Him for who He is. Uh, anybody here know, anyone here ever been in sales? Anyone here ever sold? In sales. You know one of the things that they teach the salesman, I did it for many years. They train us how to overcome objections. Like for instance, someone wants to buy a car. And they're dead set on a red one. And they come to your lot. And you don't have one. So you have to overcome that objection if you want to sell them a car. And they're going to have to believe it. So one of the things they would teach us to do is tell them, hey, mention to them that red cars get stopped by the police more often. So they would have to probably pay. They're going to have more. They're going to be recognized more easily. They're probably going to pay more tickets, and that's going to cost them more money, and their insurance is going to go up, right? So that's a way to overcome an objection. But in the case of the high priest, the Hebrew writer says, 
There's nobody greater than Jesus. That's a blessing to us. You're not alone. You can approach him. He cares about you. He sympathizes with you. He was also a man who suffered and struggled and knew what pain was and what being betrayed it was. He understands illness. He understands uh, in his suffering, Jesus. So when you go to him, he's the only one that can say to you, I understand. But not only does he understand, because that's nice, but, you know, a lot of times we may go to a friend and we share our, 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 our pity, have a pity party with them, and they're all like hugging you and everything, but they really can't do too much more than that. The great thing about our high priest is he not only cares about us and understands us, but he's powerful enough to do something about it. He has the solution. Isn't that great? That's who we serve. That's who he is. So we're going to go ahead and wrap that up. I'm going to take the Lord's Supper uh, at this time. Uh, so whoever's going to help me out, if you'd come forward.